Hello folks and welcome back. I'm your host Simon Ward and this is the High Performance Human Podcast. Each week I'm joined by guests to share knowledge and wisdom to help you on your journey to living longer, living healthier and of course improving your triathlon performance. Firstly, thank you so much to Giles Lamb whose generous donation has covered the costs of this week's podcast. Giles, I'm so pleased that we were able to help you to become an outlaw with the inspiring episodes that we produce each week. So this episode is dedicated to you. Now in the four years since the podcast launch, we've managed to do so without adverts and I'd like to continue in this manner, but the costs of producing the weekly podcast are growing annually. If you're interested in making a one-off or a regular donation to the podcast to help cover our costs, then in return, I'll dedicate the episode to you and we can avoid the thorny issue of advertising. You can find a link in the show notes below or you can email beth at thetriathloncoach.com for further details. So this week, I'm joined by Rob Sleemacher from Vassa Trainer. Rob invented the Vassa Trainer swim ergometer over 30 years ago. And if you haven't seen one, and just think indoor trainer for swimming. As you can imagine, during the lockdowns of the past 18 months, demand for VASA trainers went through the roof as people were unable to get into the swimming pools. So I wanted to find out more about how and why Rob invented this product and how we as triathletes might benefit from a different approach to our swim training. So let's crack on and hear from Rob himself. Welcome to the show, Rob. Thank you, Simon. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. No, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, you've been on my mind to have on as a guest since the start of the pandemic, really. Um, as, as I'm a keen swimmer, I still try to get to the pool at least three times a week. And in March 2020, that was shut down to all of us for the first time in my memory. You know, couldn't go to the swimming pool for near enough four months I don't think I think actually I was back swimming in the open water last summer before the pools opened so um, I know that you had troubles with lockdown but your product the Vasa trainer would have been what exactly what all of those frustrated swimmers would have needed absolutely and you know it's interesting because we hear reports from athletes from all over the world um, who had purchased and were already training with either a Vasa trainer or one of our swim swimming ergometers we call it the swimmerg and i mean and some of them very notable notable athletes that your audience will recognize um lucy charles uh susie cheatham uh daniela reef lionel sanders people all kinds of people like that they already had were already training with our products but and then just everyday athletes also and you know who would have known that that this would happen and that they were, there would be such a need to continue training indoors at home. Mm. And uh, it was really gratifying to know that our products were being put to such a good use during that time period. And as I mentioned a minute ago, the, the demand also went up dramatically. And um, once we were able, were allowed by our governor to open up again and, and start producing product, you know, we, we had to go on to a, we had to build an extensive waiting list because we, the the production demand was so great that we far exceeded what our setup had been. Mm. So we ramped up production. Our supply chains got you know turbocharged, and uh, we finally caught up and and stopped using the wait list 
pretty much in, I think it was the 1st of May of 2021. So we went from May of 2020 until May of 2021 using a waiting list and having to let people know as product became available, you know, we'd send out a hundred emails or a couple hundred emails and say, you know, we've got product. If you want something order now, not all of them would because they'd been on the waiting list for a while. Mm. Um, but usually it was usually a lot of them would take their chance and, and go ahead and, and purchase. Yeah. And not dissimilar to the cycling industry either. I mean, I was in a bike shop the other day and, um, talking to the staff about gravel bikes which have grown in popularity anyway right. and they were saying yeah we've got gravel bikes in now but you can't get a at least a decent road bike you know over two thousand pounds so sort of three thousand dollars um until at least the end of next year they're still in so much um demand now i i, I would imagine that part of that's due to the brexit issues that we have as well and import of, of products but uh, Certain certain sports and certain ways of training have uh, gone through the roof, haven't they? Another one would be Zwift and Trainer Road and all of those indoor trainer applications for cycling, which it would be considered a you know an equivalent to your product, really something that enables you to continue training for the sport without actually getting out into the the normal um, environment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, absolutely right. The, the, the smart bike trainers have been used uh, in conjunction with Zwift, which adds, you know, a really wonderful element. Um, but, you know, in, it, even before the pandemic, um, a lot of savvy athletes and coaches recognized the benefits of, of um, for lack of a better way, indoor training, or you could call it stationary training, you know, where there, there weren't sort of treadmill smart um, bike trainers, um, Vasa erg, swimmer ergs, rowing machines, like the concept to rowing machine, because as, as I'm sure as a coach, you recognize the value of, of uh, being able to coach an athlete who's using a smart bike trainer, right? Mm. Most of those same benefits carry over to using uh, a Vasa swimmer with our amp plus power meter. They carry over to rowing machines. Um, so, you know, the pandemic just added an extra degree of of complication and difficulty for people to continue their quote unquote normal training. But um, you know, even before the pandemic, we had so many different reports from coaches and athletes about how they were able to um, to use an expression, really dial in the efficacy of their indoor training because they could control for certain variables, just like you can when you're, when you're riding a, a smart bike trainer, you can control for, for variables that um, are very important. And not to mention there's the safety issue, you know, there's convenience, safety, um, controlling metrics, all of those benefits uh, apply to, especially to the Vasa swimmer. Um, our other model, the Vasa trainer, which is non-electronic, most of those benefits still are there, but without any of the electronic metrics. I think I mentioned to you just before we started the show, Rob, that I used to be the distributor in the UK for CompuTrainer, which is unfortunately now defunct. It was a it was a bomb proof product, um, but they just didn't keep up with the 
technological innovations. I can even remember Zwift in the early days, the two founders coming around to each of the booths um, run by the indoor trainer people. I think probably Tax and ourselves and Cyclops might have been there in, in Hawaii at the World Championships and asking if they could have access to the intellectual property so that they could write uh, oh. code to link the two together and chuck who was the owner of copy trainer saying we don't need them we'll write our own software and i said to him and phil our, our um, australian distributor you know maybe we should just see if chuck will open his checkbook and buy swift while it's a young company get these two smart kids to write the software and and then we can add it to the copy trainer hardware yeah that didn't happen that's my apocryphal story <laughs> <laughs> but the point being that even back then in, in the early 2000s, and I know you've been going a bit longer than that, but even back then, smart trainers for bikes weren't weren't as popular or as smart as they are now. And CompuTrainer was way ahead. But I recognized as a coach the time-saving benefits for having an indoor trainer and the control and the safety and all of those other things that you've mentioned. Um, it just seems to me like, if you live somewhere where it's half hour journey to get to the pool there and back plus changing time, having something in your own, in the vicinity of your own home that you could go on for 15 minutes a day would be such a, such a productive way of training for most people in a busy life that I'm surprised more people still insist on doing the old fashioned stuff and actually getting in the pool. Well, it, it's a, it's a good point. And um, yeah, I, I mean, I think that, uh, I mean, it may seem I'm a I'm biased because I invented this, you know, the Vasa trainer and the swimmer. But um, you know, because it it came about not because I'm a businessman. It came about because I'm a sports physiologist and I've coached a lot of people, and I saw this this connection. Maybe in a way, like the guys from Zwift saw the connection between what they could do with software and what mm-hmm. what the CompuTrainer hardware was capable of doing, and. Um, I think that I've always been a really a strong believer in the quality of training workouts, not the quantity, mm-hmm. but the quality. And one of one of the things about the quality of of uh, swim training on a on a machine like a Voss trainer or a swimmer is that you can really isolate um, what you want to work on for quality, whether it's from a technique technique point of view or even just simply uh, trying to elevate your ability to sustain power, um, especially in, a, in an open water swim for triathlon or open water swimming. Pool swimmers have different needs, but um, there are a lot of similarities and they benefit in, they benefit from it, but in a different way and, and mm-hmm. for different purposes. But yeah, I mean, the just like with smart bike trainers or treadmill training, um, I think that too many people we have an expression over here. Maybe you do too. It's called throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So yep. you, they, they do that because they think, Oh, well, the only way you're going to get better is by swimming in the water and doing more meters in the water or, or whatever. And what I would counter that with to say, there are elements of the real thing swimming in the water that are very, very important, but you got to know what those are, how to practice them, when to practice them. But there's a lot of elements that can be trained um, very, very well, very efficiently indoors. And, um, you know, whether it's in a group setting indoors or whether it's individually or using Zwift, uh, you know, like on, on, on the bike, 
We have people who are actually doing, you know, group workouts on the swimmer on Facebook. Uh, so early precursors to like Zwift kind of training. Um, but it's all about the quality and understanding when to, when to apply that. Zwift have introduced, um, actually, no, it's not Zwift. It's tax, isn't it? Tax have introduced a treadmill now so that you can use some of those online systems. And I think Zwift are doing running online. Uh, has anyone approached you about doing uh, similar with the ERG then? Well, there's been some talk, but, um, you know, and we're, we're developing, um, we're taking our ant plus power meter, um, to a new level with, it'll be a combination of ant and, and Bluetooth low energy, um, the chip inside. And that, that should be out by the end of the year. That's going to open up, uh, doors for, um, the, the, the software application or the receiving end of our data right now, our power meter is we simply make a hand, a handshake. We, we produce the data and transmit it out and it's a handshake with any receiving devices. And so, you know, having the Bluetooth low energy as well as the ant plus gives affords a lot more uh, flexibility for things like this to happen. Let's rewind then, Rob. Um, you talked about being the inventor of Vasa trainer. So explain to me, how that came about did were you working as a swim coach then or were you working as a triathlon coach or were you a participant yourself and you just felt like there was something missing right well you you'll be a little surprised by the the origins of the of the vasa trainer and i'll try to keep this as brief as possible but um in the early 80s early to, to late 80s i was working as a sports physiologist for in in, in the sport of cross-country skiing and also winter biathlon Mm-hmm. And people may people who know skiing might realize that back in those days there was a development of a, an entirely new technique. We we now call it freestyle skiing, or it's like skate skiing, right? Mm-hmm. But before before 1983 84, it really was was non-existent. An, an American named Bill Koch kind of innovated the uh, skate skiing uh, or freestyle skiing techniques. Well, anyway, our, our group, our scientific group, did some biomechanic studies and found that a lot of the forward propulsion in skate skiing came from the upper body. So I developed a machine that looks a lot like the Vasa trainer, but instead of laying down for swimming motion, you're in a um, more of a standing position, your legs straddling the monorail, and the straps that you were pulling on were a little bit higher above the above the. No, sorry. Carry on with your explanation. I just, I just wanted to ask you a quick question there. Okay. Um, well, anyway, the the straps were a little higher. So when you pulled, when you did like pull with both arms, um, well, people may have seen the concept to skier now because that's a new machine. But back in those days, nothing like that existed. So, but it, you'd pull your body weight up this inclined monorail and then lower back down to simulate the double pulling motion that was used with every stride in skate skiing. Well, so for a couple of years, we, it was just, we were, the team was just using my prototypes. And then I was asked to produce them. Could people buy them? Could they get the plans? And I, in 1988, I started a company called Vasa. And my original goal was all about Nordic skiing, cross-country skiing and training for that. Because that was my, my personal passion as an athlete. But also, I was working with these elite-level Nordic mm-hmm. skiers. 
and by athletes. And so anyway, when you start a company and you don't know all of the ins and outs of what you're doing, you know, I, I also, as an afterthought, designed the same machine with a bench that you could lay on and do swimming. Because I was also coaching some triathletes at the time. And I said, well, let's make this machine do more than one trick. And so I did. And when we presented that machine to uh, the American Swim Coaches Conference in 1990, these three coaches came up and they started going crazy over my machine. And they all, you know, they, they really couldn't believe it. They were saying things like, you know, we have, we've been wanting something like this for 10 years. And they, each of them bought machines, multiple machines. And later in the conference, I looked at the program and realized those three guys were U.S. Olympic coaches. Uh-huh. And uh, Richard Quick, North Thornton, and Richard Schulberg, famous coaches in the U.S. And unfortunately, two of them are deceased now. But they, um, that started the whole, that started my company down the path into swimming. And I already knew, I knew quite a bit about it, but not nowhere near what I know now because I've learned so much from all of these great coaches and athletes, but that that's the genesis of it. And then through that process, I realized that I kind of really enjoyed inventing things. And so I kept improving that product. And then I came up with the idea for the swimmer, which if people don't, if they want to put a visual to what a swimmer is, it's like, it's like a rowing machine for swimming. You're in a, you're, you're laying down prone on a padded bench and when you pull on the swim paddles, they're connected to these cords that make a fan wheel go around. And we have a sophisticated electronics that measure your power output and every, all the other metrics that uh, you would see on a rowing machine. Well, what, what we'll do, Rob, is if, you, if you've got any promotional videos that we can use, we'll put those in the show notes so people can get a, um, an exact idea of exactly how it works. The question I was going to ask you was what, what you were describing there as the um, indoor version of Nordic skiing reminds me of the Nordic track ski machine, which I bought one of those as a, a way of training. But that, but sure. that, that actually enabled you to do do the proper skiing motion. It wasn't um, it wasn't both arms together. You could uh, right because of the so, way it had a pulley across the top. You actually had to do them as a unilateral, and yeah, then try exactly. and get the, try to get the skis to time as well. And that was the difficult bit. Yeah. Well, the the Nordic track machine. I mean, they sold you know, mil- probably millions of those things at this point, but that, that simulates what we call, we now call classic skiing. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in the day, we called it the diagonal stride because you're, you're, you're it's more like a walking or running stride. Yep. Um, but skate skiing, it's both arms pulling the poles at the same time. And you, you initiate the, the pulling actually from the hip flexors and the abdominals. And, and then, they're just like in swimming um the the muscles in the torso are connected to the muscles in the in the latissimus the back and that's one of the keys with with nordic ski polling double polling or in in swimming whether it's butterfly or freestyle or whatever but connecting the 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 catch of the pull with the torso and mm-hmm. the large muscles in the back and mm. upper, upper back and shoulders so that you can get greater propulsion. And it, it's a very similar. In fact, the, as a coach, the, the, the similarities between Nordic skiing and swimming are far greater than most people realize, mm-hmm. but I'll leave it there. I'm not going to go into a, well, uh, it's, about that. it's, it's an interesting uh, biomechanical thing, isn't it? To talk about um, how the body works and, and, 
what you can what you can improve in swimming through non-water training, dry land training. Um, I uh, I often talk to people about engaging the lats because I think a lot of people where they go wrong with the swimming is is they're focusing all on the arms and they're not learning how to engage the lats. And if you just look at swimmers who've got good skill, that that V shape back is there for a reason it's because they've learned to activate the lats and then those muscles have responded to the years of training to create that v-shape exactly Um, right in fact in fact your point is well taken because the people who don't understand and learn the technique to apply to use their lats are all usually the athletes who end up with some kind of a shoulder injury or a Mm -hmm. bicep tendon injury injury because they rely so much on their arms yeah i i do a bit of kayaking and if um in fact i was with a friend the other day doing some sea kayaking and he said, you know, say it's not about, it's not about an arm movement and bending the elbows. It's about creating that D and then scooping down and maintaining that D and using the latissimus muscles and the rotation of the torso, which isn't dissimilar to swimming either or surfing. And in fact, I don't know, are you familiar with Carlin pipes? Well, Carlin, Carlin. Yes, absolutely. We have a whole video series that we did with Carlin. So I, I love Carlin. I did a podcast with her. I, I, it did some coaching with her at a place in Kona and she's got this whole method of swimming, which is like being on a surfboard and it's, it's, but it's yeah. all about that sort of paddling type of thing, isn't it? Right. Yeah. In fact, you know, just to give her a plug, if anyone's, if, if anyone listening is really interested in a great um, educational technical educational video series on technique, um, we, we co-produced with Carlin a five part series uh, it's on our YouTube channel. You can also find it on fossiltrainer.com in, in the video section. But you, you, you basically follow through. She's got five key points that she teaches. And one of them is what you just mentioned. But I, I highly recommend it. In fact, one of the, the, the part one of that video has over four and a half million views on YouTube. I think that's one of the most popular videos I did myself when I was in her endless pool and she was just explaining she's, right. she's sitting at the end of the pool with a little, one of those little foam woggles. And she said, every time you get that stroke wrong, I'm going to tap you on the head with it. And then she said afterwards, <laughs> I didn't have to tap you on the head, but she said, um, it's all those little things like long at the front, short at the back, um, tickle the fish. So high elbows and keep your arms high press yes. with the paddle and the fulcrum of the wrist there. Don't, don't have this cupped forearm thing. And the most remarkable thing about Carlin's um, coaching was I, I've been swimming a long time. I consider myself to be a reasonably good um, age group triathlete um, swimmer. You know, in, in most Ironman races, I'm usually out in the top 10 in my age group. So, nice. um, so I, I was fairly comfortable being with her, but of course, uh, but whenever you get coaching from somebody who really knows what they're talking about, they pull you pull your stroke to bits. The next the next day, I went down to Digby Beach and got in the ocean and tried to follow Carlin's advice. And I didn't swim any faster, but what I was doing felt so much easier. And that's the whole point, really. Is it particularly if you're doing something like an Ironman? Is you don't to get faster takes an awful lot of effort. But to swim the same time with less effort means that you can use that energy for later on. And I think that's what we're all trying to do. I think a lot of people in triathlon spend far too long trying to get faster rather than trying to be more efficient. And I guess that's where we're going to loop back to in a moment about how the Vasa trainer can help us to do that. Yeah, exactly right. That that That's, that's a really important point that you just made that so many people um, neglect to recognize that 
they may with their efforts they they in training for swimming they, if their only focus is to try to cover the distance at, in a faster time period they're really missing some of the key points because it's all about um learning to you know teaching your body to be able to cover that distance with less effort and ideally at the same time they've been swimming or or even a little bit faster but have a dramatic reduction in in energy output during the swim and in fact that's you know we'll get to this at some point but um i co co-authored another book called triathlon freestyle simplified with wrote it with conrad goringer and it came out in tw- the summer of 2020 and um the that's one of the focuses that we that we emphasize there is learning how to organize your training so that you're you're maximizing efficiency not only in your training time but so that your your technique at an event or in training workouts is much more efficient you're spending less energy for that same output or the same yeah yeah you you mentioned two of your uh probably more well-known Ironman triathletes that use the Vasa, um, Lucy Charles Barkley. So Lucy always comes out at the front or in the top two or three in any race, and usually by a bit of a margin. She's been swimming all her life, and she that was her background. Right. In order for Lucy to gain just a few seconds, it'll require her to put so much more, disproportionate amount of effort into her swimming, whereas she could probably reduce her swimming, but but still make herself more efficient. So. You know, she doesn't, she's gaining an extra 15 seconds over her competitors in Kona probably isn't going to be much of an advantage, but saving some energy so she can use it in the back part of the run, which is where she knows that Daniela's caught her in the past. And, you know, the distance it's taking longer for Daniela to catch her up, but maybe that transference of energy to the run from the swim is what she wants. Lionel, on the other hand, has needed to up his swimming because he can't afford to smash himself on the bike to catch up to Jan Fredino. He has to come out the water closer to Jan so that he can stay with him on the bike. So then he can use the energy for the run. So you've got two different athletes using your product probably in, in different ways there. Yeah, absolutely. They are using them in different ways. And I don't have, um, you know, precise insight into the different ways that they do it other than usually the videos that they, that they um, produce, especially Lucy Charles, because I don't have, direct contact with her but lionel has shared some insights with me um um, and i don't know um you know i can't i can't give your audience any specifics about how they're doing but you're but you're right they use them in different ways for different reasons because of where they are as an athlete or as a swimmer um and they're they're you know lucy's an amazing swimmer and my guess is from from watching some of the videos of her using our products she was working on um uh, really connecting those lats and working on top end power and the ability to, to sustain top end power. Um, but you'd have to ask her for sure what, what her goal is there. So, you know, a lot of times people who are swimming, you know, these pro athletes, they're in the water a lot. So variety is important to them to prevent boredom. And also they're, they're using machines like ours for some specific reasons that an age grouper wouldn't necessarily need to focus on in fact i i discourage age group athletes from trying to emulate what a pro does because they really need to just simplify focus on the most important um 
aspects that are going to allow them to make improvements in their efficiency, their, you know, their economy in terms of their, their stroke, but also as, accessing the, the lats and the torso um, and minimizing wasted effort. You know. well, that, that point that you make there about the lats and the torso is, I think, also realizing that those body parts don't act as different silos do they? They all work together. You have to be, you have to have the mobility around the upper back and the shoulders to get the reach at the front end of the stroke. There's a lot of age group athletes ignore the kick, almost disavow it really. And yeah, the the research shows that if you've got a well-timed kick, it might not make you go any faster, but you can certainly get a little bit more length with each stroke just by the timing of the kick then you can reach out and get the full length upper body so you can do what Carlin says, you know, be long at the front. Then if you've got the mobility around the upper back and the strength to maintain that sort of high elbow yeah. position, you can get a good catch. Right. And then you've got to activate the torso to get the rotation as well. So you move through the water and you've got to be flexible in the hip flexor so your legs aren't dragging. So, But those things don't happen separately, do they? They all happen together. And that's, I suppose that's what we're trying to do when we, when we use the VASA trainer and then go into the water is to connect all of those things together. So we use the body in the right order. Well, yeah, exactly. Right. And you know, the, I I think some of the greatest benefit of, of using a machine like the VASA trainer or the, or the swimmer is the ability to isolate the front part of the stroke. That is all about the propulsion. It's about um, Mm -hmm. engaging the lats. It's about the, an efficient stroke path where you're not crossing midline, you're not going out too wide. You know, Carlin talks a lot about this in in her videos. Um, But there's an analogy I'd like to use. You mentioned about being in a kayak earlier. And it's, we, I talk about this in our new book, triathlon freestyle simplified. And if I'd like the listeners to create a visual for a minute, if they've ever watched um, uh, ever seen sprint kayakers, right? Those kayakers have, a long um, carbon fiber boat that's very, very stiff. Okay. And then if they've ever seen like uh, a recreational kayak or even an inflatable kayak. So picture that and picture them side by side. Okay. Uh-huh. And if, if I, if I have the carbon fiber kayak pointed out to sea perpendicular to the shore and I, and I, and I get on the end of that kayak and I push it out to push it out to sea that carbon fiber kayak is going to go really far because it's stiff. The, the hull of that boat is really stiff and rigid. If I push the inflatable kayak or even just the plastic, the cheap plastic recreational kayak, it won't go nearly as far because so much of the way the hull of that boat is designed, um, especially the inflatable one, the, there's, there's a lot of drag that's created and there's a lot of, um, lost energy when i push on the end of that inflatable kayak most of my pushing energy goes into the squishiness of the of the kayak right Mm -hmm. so now take those two visuals of the the carbon fiber kayak and the inflatable one and i want you to imagine your body as one or the other and one of the things we try to teach is we and and i got you know uh, i mean i've learned from so many different coaches and Jerry Rodriguez is a great coach and he talks about maintaining a long taut body. And by taut, I mean T-A-U-T, taut. So you can learn whether you're training on a Vasa trainer or whether you're training in the water with a, 
with a pool buoy between your legs and a front snorkel or whatever, it's always important to keep a long, taut kayak hull. Think of your body as a kayak hull and you want to be that carbon fiber kayak hull. Because now when I reach forward and I get into a catch position and I access my large propulsive muscles of the lats, I'm propelling a boat or a hull that has a lot less drag than that inflatable boat that I talked about. Mm. And so how do you get a long, taut carbon fiber hull in the water for your swimmer swimmer's body? You've got to, you've got to work on your abs. You've got to work on your lower back muscles. You, you got to make sure that your, your hip flexors and also the upper butt muscles are strong so the, I hate it when I see people using a Vasa trainer or a swimmer and they let their legs dangle off the back of the bench down toward the floor. You got to keep those legs up. And, and all that while you're training the core, right? And then the other thing that they do, people complain about, oh, the bench is flat. Well, it doesn't need to be because when you reach it forward and freestyle and you catch and get that high elbow catch and start to propel, I, I, we try to teach people to drive the opposite hip, hip down into the bench with that long taut body, then you're activating those torso muscles that are used and, and connecting all of this together. Uh-huh. It's just like what you talked about when you're kayaking, if you didn't make your knees and your, your legs press up against the hull of that kayak and you're just letting them be wobbly. Every time you pulled with your paddle, you're losing energy uh-huh. to your body moving all around in the hull because it wasn't connected to the hull of the boat. So that I, I think that analogy can work well for people if they visualize their body trying to be a long, taut carbon fiber hull in the water. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I, lo- I love that. And uh, I'm, I'm probably, when I said that I would cut bits of this video out to use on social media, Rob, I'm going to use that explanation because that really does um, create a lovely a lovely image in my mind anyway. So I, I'd Thank encourage you. all of the listeners to, to try to just sit there for a minute and think about what Rob said and go over it until you can visualize that and then making your own body seen like that because we we have some people that that are in the swim program that i swim with and they're fantastically fit people they're fantastically fit triathletes but they struggle as swimmers and part of that is because they're just they're creating so much drag because they're not that taut streamlined uh body that you've just talked about you know their hip flexors are too tight so the legs are dragging their shoulders are too tight their toes are pointing down and when they kick instead of the toe the big toes brushing each other they're creating this great big scissor thing and wow they uh they're just using so much energy or right. lose losing so much energy into the water rather than going forwards sure sure and and for those people that do that you know i i, I would like to say you know don't don't get discouraged about about things like that but try to prioritize what you're working on so that um you know you re- you reduce the amount of drag you create but you're also really focusing on the right kind of propulsion this segues into another thing that i think would i i'd like to mention again i'm going to give credit to uh eric nielsen who who taught this to me and um uh, Eric and Carlin used to coach together many years ago, and they um, basically it ha- it's it's called a mono speed pull. And so a lot of adult learned swimmers will um, they might even have a, a beautiful 
swimming technique. It might look beautiful, but then many adult learned swimmers don't have that beautiful technique. But the here's the key about a monospeed pull. And by monospeed, I mean single speed. They reach forward. They might get into a good catch position and, and looks pretty good. But the speed in which they go from entry to catch and then from catch to finish at the hip, that speed, that hand speed stays the same. What people need to understand is that you want to get into that catch position without putting a lot of downward pressure on the water because downward pressure on the water just makes your body go up in the water and that creates more drag. It makes your legs go down. So you got to get your arm up and over a barrel or up and over a big physio ball, get into that catch position. When you're there, that's when you engage that torso and, and the lats and pull with speed, with acceleration. And that's a concept that a lot of athletes just don't understand. And they, they continue to swim with, I call it a lollygagging kind of stroke or a monospeed stroke. So that would, that and the, the kayak haul, carbon fiber kayak haul, those two things, if they prioritize their training, their practice to improve on those two aspects, I think they'll see some improvements in their overall efficiency. So let's say a listener has decided, even at this point, Rob, before we've got into the benefits, but decided that they want to try a VASA trainer. What sort of drills and sessions are they going to use? Um, I, I appreciate that what people, the benefits people get out will depend on what they come to the party with. So less skilled people will concentrate on the basics. The Lucy yeah. Charles Barclays will have a different agenda. But what sort of things can they do on the VASA trainer um, that will then help to prepare them for when they get back into the pool? And how often do they need to be doing these? Right. Well, that those questions sort of create a, a complex metrics of, or, <laughs> or, of, or uh, I'm not thinking of the right word, but matrix. A, matrix, a complex matrix of, of, um, of variables. But I'll start by saying that having a quality swim training tool at home or if in your club, if, if that's where you're using it, it allows, it affords the opportunity for consistency, consistent training. So if you, if people can't get to the pool for whatever reason, or can't get to the open water, but they've got access to a quality swim training tool, like, like a Voss trainer or swimmer, then consistent, consistent training um, is possible. Now what they do and I think your question is pointed more at what they do for each of those sessions will depend a lot on, on their athletic goals, the, the distance that they want to be um, competing in and the stroke that they want to be competing in. Now, I guess for the sake of this podcast, most people are listening, probably triathletes or open water swimmers. Would you say that's true? Yeah. Okay. So we'll focus on that for the most part. So the athletes are wanting to improve their technique efficiency and freestyle for the open water uh, venue. And um, the, the kind of workouts that, that we would recommend if, if they're on a swimmer, then it's going to be all about elevating the ability to sustain power. So very similar to bike workouts, it's going to be a mix of uh, some workouts might be short, shorter duration intervals, shorter duration, higher intensity intervals, Others are going to be more like a, a, 
time trials at race intensity or just below race intensity. So they might they might do a set distance on the on the erg. We have a feature on our pyrometer where you can preset the distance and it when you start your workout, it, the distance counts down, the time counts up, and at the end it freezes and you can record your your workout. And then others might be working on depending on what the what their coach or what they feel like they need to work on. It might be working on some drills that um, again it's going to be more in the 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 uh, front end of the stroke the the upper body part of, of the stroke, because they're not going to be doing any kicking drills. Um, that's what, that's what we would recommend. Um, if they're using a VASA trainer with that does not have electronics and, and they're um, working on, they can use that machine to build strength. They can use it to build some sustained endurance and power um, in a little different way. So, but again, I, I'd come back to the, the main thing being that, they can think of their their bike workouts, their running workouts, even their scheduled pool workouts. They can simulate those workouts on a VASA. They just it's just a little bit of transference over. Always focusing on using proper stroke technique, stroke path. Um, one of the great things about having someone do swim training on a swimmerg is, especially if you're a coach watching on either either virtually or in person, you can start to identify when their technique, their pulling technique falls apart under fatigue. And it's hard to see that when they're swimming in the water, mm. especially if you've got multiple athletes in the pool that you're paying attention to. But on the swimmer, especially, um, you can start to see when uh, especially like in a time trial, a 400 meter time trial or something like that, you can really start to understand where their technique starts falling apart because you can see the numbers on the power meter. Those start to drop off and you'll see things like their stroke is shortening or they'll start reverting to old habits like a monospeed pull or uh, maybe they cross midline, things like that. I'm presuming that in a standard swim session that takes place in the pool, a lot of the time there is just steady state aerobic work, trying to build up time in the water and getting the rhythm and the breathing, et cetera. Right, right. Um, would you recommend that users of Avasa try to exactly replace the swim session that they're not doing in the pool? So if somebody was going to a pool and they've got an hour swim session, it would say two and a half to three K, would you be saying, do two and a half to three K on the vast trainer, or are you cutting out all of the fluff and just doing the real specific stuff? And therefore the workout is condensed down into 20 minutes. Right. Right. Well, you make, you make a good point there. And I, I would, I would say you want to condense it because for, for two reasons, it, it's, it's more difficult that you using a swimmer will feel more difficult than swimming in the water because, well, you're not buoyant for one, you're not going to be kicking uh, for propulsion and um the also the if you're if people are paying attention to the power meter the distance that accumulates or the pace per 100 meters it, it actually simulates or very close to if you were pulling with a pull buoy in the water especially in open water without any turns without any push-offs a push off the wall it's just straight on open water swimming I mean, you, some people could even say it's almost like having a front mount snorkel and a pull buoy. Mm -hmm. um, be, so it's really focused on on 
the upper body propulsion, the connection of the of the arm to the lats and the torso, and really focusing on those things. So a coach writing a workout or an athlete for figuring it out for themselves, they would want to reduce a typical pool workout, probably reduce it by a third or so. A little bit depends on like if someone had a swimming work, a pool workout that had a lot of kicking drills, then of course they're going to have to find a different way to accomplish that on land. Mm. Okay. Similar then to what we would have uh, prescribed with the compu trainer. You know, if you've got a two hour ride outside program, you could probably do um, an hour and a quarter to an hour and a half and get the same benefit because there's no coasting when you're using an indoor trainer. So, um, which is what you get typically outdoors. You've got a tailwind, you've got a downhill, you're not really putting much effort in at that point. So uh, it's almost yeah. dead time. Yeah, that, that's a good, really good way to describe it. And I think that if someone were to think about their typical uh, pool workout that a coach wrote for them or, or that they're pulling off of, you know, wherever some other training plan, they need to look look at, you know, how much rest there is and, you know, the work to rest ratios. Those could be pretty similar, but I think the the place that people could go wrong is if they're if they're trying to use a swimmer to do the exact distances mm. you know i would i would encourage people to go more for time so like if if you know that your intervals in the pool are you know a certain amount of time for the work and a certain amount of time for the rest use that instead of trying to focus in on the distance mm-hmm. and if if somebody that had a VASA or had access to one was one of those people who perhaps didn't find it as easy to get to the pool, maybe it's just not as convenient for them, would you be able to get away with less time in the pool but using the VASA to substitute some of that other training? Could you could you afford to swim, say, once a week in the pool and still at the end of the, the winter still be in the same position or fitter if you yeah. were using the if you're using the VASA trainer for the other amount of time? Yes, I would say a qualified yes. I mean, of course, we're talking in generalizations here in terms of how much time someone was training, but we have a gazillion stories of of athletes who either were forced to do what you just described because of the pandemic or their their other circumstances, or that's just their life. Their life was so busy that they just chose to do their training, and a lot of those people will do very short, efficient, you know, twenty to thirty minute swimmer workouts whereas and they can get it done at home they don't it's it's 30 seconds to their to to walk to their swimmer versus 30 minutes to get to the pool so it's very time efficient yeah but the actual work on the on the swimmer can also be very time efficient and um i think i you know i don't want to sit here and guarantee everybody's going to improve i think it depends a lot on the athlete and their efficiencies and stuff but most people do less time training and they stay the same or get better in their in their actual races Hmm. yeah and i would think that that those swimming is probably the most difficult logistically isn't it for the majority of people who don't live like Carlin, who don't live by the ocean or have a swimming pool in their backyard. You've got right. to travel there in the winter. It's not that pleasant, you know, cause you come out the pool cold, you go in and it's, you know, it feels cold to get in and um, you've, yeah, I'm quite lucky where we are in Leeds. We've got quite a good swim program and a, and a, and a good pool, but 
lots of people have to mix in with members of the public. So they might have a planned session, but if there's a whole load of people swimming up and down doing breaststroke and chit-chattering away, you're you're going to find it really difficult to do your sets of 50-meter butterfly intervals. That, that's true. Well, this this makes me think of a point that I want to mention. It's, it's something we talk a lot about in, in our book, Triathlon Freestyle Simplified. But um, if, if I focus on the adult learned swimmer turned triathlete or open water swimmer, right? Um, and even the even for people who swam as a kid, but maybe they're not as confident in the open water. One of the things that I feel as, as a coach and as a fellow athlete, I feel is so important is to to advise people to find ways to be consistent in your training because if i was your coach i want you to show up on race day huh. towing the line i want you feeling really confident and confidence comes from doing the physical training but also doing some of the subtle things the the other subtle things practicing in the open water if you, if your race requires a wetsuit or you want to wear a wetsuit, you need to practice in that wetsuit. Make sure it fits properly. Find out what it's like. You need to practice sometimes with a group of people and, you know, have them forcibly knock your goggles off or whack you in the head or kick you in the chest or something. But I want you to be, I want those athletes to be prepared. I mean, I was a boy scout. I was an Eagle boy scout, right? So our motto was be prepared. And I want you to people to really think through the unlikely events and coaches can guide them to understand, you know, or, or even exp other experienced athletes can tell them like, you know, this could happen. Be ready for this. Be ready for that. And here's what you do. If it happens, here's three ways you can handle that or whatever. So back to whether someone trains on a Vasa trainer or whether they train uh, with swim cords at home because they can't get to a pool or whether they can get to the pool or open water. Don't forget some of those really important um, things you can practice that allow you to prepare emotionally, mentally, as well as physically, as well as your technique, right? Like, you know, you, you might, you could probably speak to this a little bit, Simon, as a coach, but, you know, people need to learn how to, how to even just learn how to change up their tempo. Because they could be faced with, you know, a lot of waves, a lot of chop, mm. and um, they need to be able to have more than one gear when they swim, right? And you could you could probably name a dozen other circumstances that people will face when they get into a combat swimming triathlon, a triathlon swim. You make a great point, actually, Rob, about confidence in open water. I've coach more than a you know more than one athlete who's been very able in the pool where everything's controlled you're setting off in bonds um you don't get you, you know you, your swim stroke isn't isn't bashed around by the waves or, or other people who've then gone into open water and just met with anxiety as soon as their toe touches that that cold water the darkness there's no line on the bottom there's no wall to turn off yeah. and just having them swim in open water regularly and as you say putting themselves in those situations i mean i i do some race commentary and we always get people saying, you know, how many people are going to be in the, the start? I'm, I'm worried about starting with a thousand other people. I mean, it doesn't happen as much now because of the sort of changes to the, to the starts. 
um, particularly an Ironman. But still, you only really have to worry about four or five people, don't you? The one who's in front of you that's likely to kick you in the face, the one behind you that's likely to tap you on the toes, and the two either the one either side that's likely to to knock your arm. And that's right. it. So if you can find four more friends, you can easily simulate the the chaos in an open water swim session. And and that's all you need to to, to simulate those dozen sessions is sure. four like minded individuals who'll come to the lake and swap around, yeah, taking yeah. turns in the different positions, and you've got it all sorted. Absolutely, you know, and, and it, it it seems like common sense to us now that we're talking talking it through. But a lot of people forget some of those important details. I mean, even I, I even know a very experienced um, age group athlete who, who you know he's at top of his age group, but. He a couple of things had changed in his life, and he had gained just a few extra pounds. And but he was training for a particular race, and mm-hmm. um, put his wetsuit on, got in for the swim, and all of a sudden he realized like his wetsuit was too tight. And and here he is in the middle of the swim, and he st- he couldn't breathe, so he had to kind of like like stop and do some breaststroke, catch his breath, you know. It, but it, but not be, be, having it be too tight and and uh, not getting breathing created mental anxiety. So uh-huh. he had to like do a reset and, um, you know, go into a breaststroke for a little while, catch his breath and realize like, okay, here's what's going on. My wetsuit's too tight. I underestimated th- this extra few pounds I gained. I better figure out how to get through this race, you know? So if he hadn't have had the experience uh-huh. that he had, as a, as an athlete and as a coach, I, I think he might have really struggled and maybe even would have swam over to a surfboard and asked for help. Right, but people need to be be really prepared for for an open water race. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to remember the Cliff Bar commercial. You you no doubt have seen it. I can't. I'm trying to remember which um, pro athlete it was. Probably the same time as the same era from Ray Browning and, and those guys. So he swims down, he runs down the beach and he's got all those guys there beating him over the head with the sticks, the rubber covered sticks. Um, And then when he's in the water, they're smashing him with those things. And uh, it's a hilarious little video. He still gets airplay these days as as one way to simulate the chaos that happens at a must start. I forget who that was. Was that, was that Paul Huddle or, or. No, um, no, it's the sort of thing that Huddle or Rock Frey would have done, but it wasn't, he was, um, he was a Cliff Bar sponsored athlete. Um, I don't uh, remember. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to go on uh, YouTube and have, have a look <laughs> yeah. and see who it is. He used to um he used yeah. to run with his dog. I know that. There were some famous videos of him running in the snow with his dog as well. Um oh, I can't remember. Yeah. Anyway, I will uh I'll I'll put that video in the show notes because it's uh, it's funny. Um, yeah, that's a great idea because people will get an you know, try to get a sense. I mean, I, I would just, again, I would reiterate to your listeners that um, do not be naive about an open water swim, whether it's a triathlon or another open water swim. Do not be naive. Really find out what are the key elements you need to practice and practice them more than once. And uh, because I, I care about people's safety and people's emotional well-being. I mean, there's nothing worse than getting into a situation where you're so uncomfortable that you actually have to like stop or do not finish, right? And yep. that, that doesn't feel good to anybody. So I really love to see people be fully prepared before they embark on something like that. No, I'd agree. And I don't think it matters how many open water swims you've done in your life and how many years you've been doing it. I, I know plenty of triathletes who've 
been doing triathlons for as long as I have, which is, you know, over 30 years and have qualified to swim at the, to race at the world championships at many different age groups and many times who've had panic attacks because of that very thing that you mentioned, something's happened in their life, which has maybe caused them to lose a little bit of confidence. And it may not be anything to do with sport. They maybe had a broken relationship and somebody leaves them, a loss of a loved one, um, loss of a job. Maybe they've been ill and they've struggled to regain the fitness. Maybe they've put on some weight. And so we all know what it feels like. The first swim of the year when you put that wetsuit on, and, and I know that everybody thinks that wetsuits shrink. Um, right. And we've all been through that, but it feels <laughs> tight. It feels tighter on your chest. And so therefore it's more difficult to breathe and you get in the cold water. Just that confluence of different factors can cause some anxiety. And before you know it, you're doing exactly what, you said there in reaching for the kayak and, and unable to swim another stroke. Um, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, exactly. So. Just, I mean, I think I guess I would just tell people get, get comfortable being uncomfortable and <laughs> figure out all the different reasons why you might be uncomfortable so that you can get comfortable with those. <laughs> you sound like Dave Goggins now there telling people to get uncomfortable every day. Uh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm not like that guy, but, but I think in this case, um, Swimming in the open open water is a is there's a risk involved, and I want yeah. people to I want people to be able to. Uh, my goal, you know, is is that people can finish their triathlon swim, mm. feeling great, feeling like they didn't spend too much energy, and most importantly, that they finished safely. That that is by far and above the most important aspect and so i'm probably maybe because i have kids i'm like safety dad here but i want to make sure that that people are are finishing safely and comfortably i th- i think any of us that has a a responsible position within triathlon um uh, should have people's safety at, uh, uppermost you know this is this is a hobby and it's it's not like being a professional soldier where sometimes you expect that you know either you or one of your colleagues might not come back. We we don't expect that to happen in triathlon, and we need to do everything to make sure it it, it doesn't happen. Or yeah, i.e., what people don't come back. We need to make sure that everybody comes back and comes back safely. Yeah, well, even and even just emotionally safety safe because if you look at some of the statistics, it's in certain races, especially when the swim conditions were extremely difficult in certain mm-hmm. races the DNF for swims are, is pretty high, yeah. right? So all, those people put out all of that energy to train for it. They put out a lot of money to get there, especially for an Ironman event. And it's a shame. I don't, it doesn't matter how much money you have. It, it would be a shame to throw that away and not being able to finish the rest of your race on the bike and the run because something went bad in the swim. Well, and you, you look at people's emotional state. I, I mentioned some of the races I commentate at, um, the Outlaw Series. We had a couple of people this year that didn't quite make it to the swim before the cutoff time. And one lady, bless her, she came out and she said, um, what am I going to do? How am I going to tell my friends now? I feel like I've let everybody down. You know, nobody thinks any of the worst of you because if you've tried your hardest and you haven't made it. But unfortunately, that's how the individual perceives it, that they've let everybody down, all the people that have supported them, that have maybe sponsored them, that have come to cheer them on. Uh, and that sort of scar can be carried around in somebody's in somebody's head for quite a long time. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, uh, to quote Henry David Thoreau, public opinion is a weak tyrant compared to one's own opinion of himself. <laughs> I'll have to put that onto the uh, show notes. Rob, before you go, you've mentioned your book a few times. 
triathlon freestyle simplified. Yeah. So if I was to pick that up and look at the title, I'd think, oh, here's a man who is getting a little irritated with the fact that triathlon swimming and freestyle has been overcomplicated over the years by coaches and you want to sort of bring everything back to the key points. Is, is that what, Was that the basis for your book? Well, I don't know if I would say that it, it's necessarily been overcomplicated by, by coaches. I wouldn't want to say that, but I think that the subtleties, I think a lot of times um, triathletes go to swim coach, you know, competitive swim coaches or swim coaching programs to learn how to do open water triathlon swimming. And while some elements are um, very similar, often those pool, the pool coaches or the, the competitive pool swimming coaches may not understand why that athlete is there. They also may not understand all the subtleties of a triathlon open water swim. Mm-hmm. And they're well-meaning coaches, so it's not to—I don't mean to ever, you know, disregard their abilities as a swim coach, especially from technique and things like that. But, but there are aspects of open water swimming and open water triathlon swimming that many of those competitive pool coaches have no experience with, and more importantly, some of the points I mentioned earlier in the podcast were about, you know, maintaining consistent quality training that that helps the athletes simulate what they're going to be experiencing in the open water right so um that that was a big part of why we came up with that and i'll I'll tell people right now that we in the book we also guide people to understand that if they can't always get to the water to train. You know, we, 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 we give them some guidance on how to train on land, whether they're using a Voss trainer or a swimmer or swim cords or their gym for, you know, for weights, you know, like bait, but basically the goal being you want to shoot for the ideal, but when you can't for a variety of other reasons, then find the next best thing Mm -hmm. and make, and, and, and make that do to make the overall goal being consistent quality swim training. So I don't know if I can, can I share my screen with you and show you a picture? Have you looked up the, the, the book? I haven't yet. You can share it with me. The, uh, the viewers won't see it unless we share the video, but feel free to share it. Here we go, uh, Simon. This is, this is a picture of the cover, and it's available either as a, a paperback or as a Kindle book um, on Amazon. Well, we're, we're going to put a link to this in the show notes, Rob, so everybody okay. will um, yeah. be able to find out where to to purchase and we will also um share this is a picture again whether you use it or not it's up to you but you know so this is the swimming ergometer over here um and that's got a big fan wheel inside this um you know inside the uh the box here (laughs) sorry that keeps popping up like that uh and then this is the trainer where you're pulling your body weight up the incline or in this case the person's using a pulley system so they can actually do freestyle and then over here, we have a folding bench and you can use it with our swim cords that are more like a, they have a safety sleeve over a latex tubing. So do, do you mind if I ask, the, the trainer pro that you have where you've got the sliding bench that, that yeah. goes up a gradient, and I presume that you can change the gradient to on that trainer pro then to, to increase the resistance, is that right? Or do you increase the resistance by putting stronger uh, tubing on for the paddles? Yeah, no, great question. There's there's three ways to change the resistance. Um, one is by 
as you mentioned, increasing the incline of the monorail, and that that happens here on the front of the machine. So, Rob, when I when I look at the the trainer, not the erg, I recall seeing other products like was it Total Gym that made one that was a resistance bench. It wasn't supposed to be a swim bench, but it was something for um, a, a, like a home trainer. So, was that an idea that they uh, they licensed from you, or did they just copy that? No, actually, they didn't really copy it. We, we, the, the, the Total Gym um, actually came out about the same time as the Vasa Trainer and unbeknownst to each other. Uh, of course, the Total Gym is more of a general fitness mm-hmm. machine and it's gone on to be an incredible um, commercial success. Uh, I mean, we're, we have modest success, but compared to them in, in that way, you know, they've, they've sold a lot. The, for swimming, though, while you can do some of the swim-specific stroke work or, or segments of the stroke like you can on the Vasa trainer because of the, the design of their machine the 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 back end of it is right at the ground level and whereas whereas with the Vasa trainer and the erg you're the the back end of the machine or the rear stanchion's up about eight or 18 inches off the ground and it allows the user to be in a position where they can really pull all the way through without having to bend at the legs or do anything like that um also we have a lot more resistance options. Like if you think of it as a spectrum, the, the Vasa trainer has a, a much wider spectrum of resistance options from, you know, you can stand off the machine beside it and pull on the pulley cable system. So it's almost no resistance or just using the, the weight of the, the seat carriage and the, and the bungee cords, or you can put it at the steepest possible angle load it up with power cords and do a, a really high resistance, you know, workout. So the, the, the total gym is a very good machine for general fitness. It's less effective for swim specific um, work, but if anyone, if anyone has one and they don't want to go buying something different there, they could use that machine to do um, some swim specific kind of training. I'm, I'm thinking back now to the pandemic um, in March last year, when we had our lockdown, first lockdown in the UK, we had some exceptionally good, unseasonably warm weather. And there was a lot of people that were building themselves these contraptions that were pools that they could go into, or they were buying paddling pools, and then they were setting up these tether systems so that they could wear a harness, so they could so they could splash around in this paddling pool and at least mentally feel like they were actually doing some swimming but when you watch the videos of a lot of people swimming the way the tether was set up meant that their shoulders were lifted out of the water their hips were high and their legs and shoulders were sinking I'm, I'm not sure how many people actually found it of any physical benefit to them but it, it it also makes me think that the amount of money that they would have probably invested in setting that whole system up they could have bought a vasa trainer if, if they'd had any stock available they could yeah. have bought a vasa trainer and actually had something that um, they can use throughout the year. I mean, let's face it, nobody wants to get into a paddling pool in the middle of January, even with a wetsuit on, um, right, right. unless you're in, well, unless you're in. Yeah. Canada. I mean, there's pros and cons to everything. I mean, if, if someone has a Vasa trainer, um, trainer pro model, I mean, you can do 200 different exercises with that machine. So it's, it's more than a one trick pony. Um, whereas, you know, the, the, the backyard pool situation that you described with the tether, I mean, I think that you hit the nail on the head that psychologically it gave people um, sort of that, it gives them that can do, like, mm-hmm. let's do something about this. And it's a proactive approach. And I, 
I applaud that. I think, I think if people could afford it and they could figure out how to do it and make it work, I think that's great. And um, they may not have gotten, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, it's, it's, it would be like splitting hairs to try to say the benefits outweigh the, the downside or vice versa, you know, like let them figure it out and figure out how, ways to tweak it so that, mm. that they could get maximum benefit from something like that. Oh, I saw one of my friends, he, he, he got a whole load of pallets, you know, wooden pallets. He built this structure. So it was like a 10 meter pool. He lined it with polythene. He created a deck. He set up a, a scaffolding stand with a tether and, I mean, this this guy's a, a, a you know a master swimmer that sets records. Yeah. So he went to town on this thing, and for three months he was the envy of everybody. Oh, I'd love to see his setup. I wonder if there's a video of it. I'd love to see it. You yeah. know, I'm as an inventor, but also just as a, I guess it's just the way I'm wired. But um, you know, I, I think it's useful to have a mindset that problems are opportunities to use our mm-hmm. creativity for sure, and. And even maybe take it one step further, there are opportunities to collaborate. And mm-hmm. so even if the first attempt at something isn't perfect, it doesn't work out, if we keep that open mindset, it can grow into something that that is better. Mm-hmm. And and you just keep iterating. And you know, we have a we have an expression over here, we call it um, fail fast, fail cheap, which mm-hmm. means we use it in our company where we've got an idea for something, right? So we figure out a way to try the idea out as inexpensively and as quickly as possible and and make it fail, right? We want to find out what's wrong about this idea, but what can we do to iterate and improve on that idea? Because there's some nugget about that idea that really could mm-hmm. work. Yeah. You know, sometimes it never does work, but it can lead, usually it can lead to some application that we never even thought of. When I first invented the Vasa trainer for Nordic skiing, the idea of using it for swim training was an afterthought. It really was an afterthought. Mm-hmm. How could I ever have predicted that two years later, I'd be in front of these three Olympic coaches who were jumping up for joy because they had discovered the Vasa trainer for swimming. I never would have guessed that, right? But I think it's important to stay open-minded. And so I applaud these athletes you're describing who, who figured out a way to get it done Mm-hmm. And even if it just helped them feel better emotionally, that that that's a win in my book. Well, I can tell you that there was a lot of jealous people at that time when the when the sun was out and they were there sharing their little videos of them in their pool swimming. And most people couldn't get anywhere near. I mean, I live right by the canal here, but the water just probably isn't uh, clean enough to swim <laughs> without without getting some other disease from the rats or something. So uh, it wasn't mm. something I was willing to to, to try. Um, yeah, I don't blame you. So, so Rob, just to finish off, then, uh, and this is I'm going to put you on the spot now, but you've been you've been telling people of the benefits now of Vasa Trainer for you know, thirty plus years, so you should be able to reel it off the top of your head. The three main benefits of owning or using having owning or having access to a Vasa Trainer for the majority of people who are listening to this show, our age group triathletes and and people who would the majority sure. of whom would say swimming is their weakest link sure uh number one the ability to maintain um consistent quality swim training conveniently number two the ability to 
improve, to truly improve one's ability to sustain a higher power, higher power output for swimming. And three, um, the ability to actually improve their technique if, if it's used correctly. And that's where I would steer people to those videos on our, our website or YouTube channel that by Carlin pipes. Um, and, uh, she's there, she's a fantastic teacher and you can apply, people can apply the principles of, of what she says in those videos in the water. I, and that's ideal. And then, but if, if they're using a Vasa trainer or a swimmer, they can use those same principles. If somebody wasn't able to get a Vasa trainer, right, if they didn't have the funds to purchase one now, or there was a long waiting list to get one, are you able to simulate something uh, going back to your invention uh, um, situation that you mentioned a moment ago with some swim cords, some stretchy swim cords with paddles on and a bench or something set up that they can lie on so that they're horizontal with their uh, you know, with their torso supported and their legs and their arms free to mimic some of those techniques. Is that possible? Yeah, sure. It's, it, and I would say it's better than doing nothing, right? It's, it's better than doing nothing. Plus with, you know, I mean, the using stretch cords uh, or, or, you know, tubing like that has its limitations because at the beginning of the stroke or, you know, the first part of the stroke, there's, there's not a lot of resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, the further you pull it through, you get greater resistance, which isn't exactly what happens when you're swimming. But I do think that people could, they could do stroke segments. Like, you know, you could work on the front part of the stroke mm-hmm. with, with a good resistance. And then just, uh, you know, by moving back away from it and stretching the cords a little further, and you can work on that front part of the stroke. You could, and that's great for the, the muscles in the, in the shoulder and the, and the arms. And then, for the the catch to the finish, then you you start by um, not having them the cords so stretched and then pull through. Depends on the athlete, right? And then you can use cords for other things too if you can connect handles to them instead of just paddles. If if, if they've got some like our our swim cords, they you can you can switch out paddles. You can with with cords with ankle straps, uh, even a bar. It comes with a bar that where you can do you know, all kinds of strength exercises. So again, I think it a lot depends on your space needs, your budget, um, what's available to you, and then just somehow studying, um, you know, or, or combining what you know you need to work on with what's capable, what that equipment is capable of providing for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know if that answers your question, but that, no, no, that's, that's where I'd go with that. That's good to know. And I think the bottom line to that is always, something is better than nothing, isn't it? Right. And I, you know, we, I did a little video myself for all the people that weren't able to have access to a VASA trainer or similar, but they were able to get some cords where we just talked about some very simple exercises, including one that you just mentioned there, where you just, you're just starting to at, at arm's length, just create a bit of tension in the lats and feel the lats switching on rather than just using the arms. Sure. Um, and e- even that in itself, the muscle memory from activating the lats and getting into the right position uh, is something. And there's a whole load of shoulder stability exercises you can do that are traditional with therabands that you can use with the swim bands as well, which will help your swim stroke. It's not it's not a direct s- swim stroke action, but it'll definitely 
improve the stability around the rotator cuff, which yeah. and, and the upper back, which again, um, if if you can help keep your yeah. shoulder joint in the right position to perform the stroke and provide the stability for the arms and the lats to do the work, that helps as well, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, again, I, I think pe- too many people get polarized saying, well, one thing is better than another, or, you know, they, they, they want to put their opinions about things, but I would come back to what, what we talked about earlier, which is, um, you know, my goal is to make sure that the athlete is prepared for the events that they want to do. So that each athlete needs to sort of objectively create a matrix of what's available to them, both from uh, logistics as well as budget, right? And even space, space needs at home. I mean, not everybody can fit fit a Vasa trainer or a swimmer in their home. They, you know, they, they do, the full ones take, take up a pretty good amount of space. Um, and th- so there's pros and cons to, to all of these different options, you know, whether it's using swim cords, stretch cord swim cords, or a Vasa trainer or a swimmer or a total gym, if you've got one, or, you know, tethered swimming in a, in your backyard pool. I mean, people just need to, to figure out uh, the matrix that allows them to show up on race day prepared and confident. That that's the most important thing. Well, that's a good place to end Rob. I think <laughs> showing up on race day, prepared and confident. And, and let's face it. If, if you are prepared and confident, that can banish much of the anxiety that people have standing on the start line, can't it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So Rob Sleemacher from Vasa Trainer, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been a great conversation. I'm, I'm really pleased that you were able to, to join us. I've learned quite a lot myself. So uh, every day is a learning day, as I say. So thank you for helping with that. You're very welcome. And it's been my pleasure. Thank you, Simon. Thanks to Rob for joining me on the High Performance Human podcast this week. There are links to all of today's discussion topics and videos which will show you exactly how a VASA trainer works. And you can find those in the show notes below. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the High Performance Human podcast on iTunes and get new episodes as they become available each week. Oh, and while you're there, please don't forget to leave a rating and a review. Okay, that's all for this week. I'll be back in seven days' time with another great guest. Remember... Being a high-performance human is a journey, so stay healthy, stay focused, and keep trying to be a little bit better than yesterday.